Welcome to Business Reporter's Future of Global Payments series in partnership with Currency, the global fintech helping businesses with their payments. In the next three episodes of this podcast series, we'll be exploring how the landscape for e-commerce has been transformed since the onset of the pandemic, the challenges businesses are facing to scale globally, and the solutions so that your company can fulfil its potential. We'll also be looking at what banking as a service is, what it can do, and how the technology behind it works. But first, the pandemic has had huge implications for the way that we buy and sell. Opportunities opened up for businesses online as restrictions that saw millions confined to their homes meant an explosion in e-commerce. It also prompted massive and rapid global adoption of digital financial services, speeding up trends which we were already witnessing. But, as always, with opportunities comes challenges. Well, to talk more about all this, I'm joined by Chief Marketing Officer Sam Coyne of Currency. Sam, a very warm welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Georgie. Lovely to be here. Just explain to us, if you would, how has COVID changed the business landscape? Where do you see the opportunities? Let's go there first for growth and then some of the key challenges. Yeah, well, it really has changed almost every facet of the landscape for businesses. Whether or not all those changes are going to be permanent remains to be seen. You know, I think if we, if we start by just looking at it from purely a consumer behavior perspective, there were several phases, I think, since the beginning of the pandemic. Initially, it was a reassessment of needs versus wants, right? What is essential to my way of life? This is very early days. This is, this is month one, rolling lockdowns around the world, massive uncertainty about where this is all heading. And perhaps the most visceral example of this, at least for me in my experience based here in Hong Kong, was the panic buying of toilet paper. So the whole city got cleared out of toilet paper. And that was it was everywhere, including that was here in London. Equal parts scary and comical. <laughs> because it's mm. something that you don't you don't think about toilet paper on a day-to-day basis, right? It's air, it's water, it's just it's just there. And then suddenly you're faced with this prospect, however remote, that the whole world might be about to just grind to a halt. And now you're thinking, like, well, what do I need tomorrow morning? <laughs> you know, what are the things that I really, really need? Fortunately, that behavior is very elastic and it normalized extremely quickly once it became obvious that while the pandemic was going to have wide reaching effects, the world wasn't going to stop completely. Right. And then I think we, we kind of quickly moved into a new phase, uh, which was perhaps more value driven purchasing. And I think that's the kind of behavior that you see anytime there's economic uncertainty. Right. If you're if you have job insecurity um, you're not you're not sure how the economy is going to be performing in six months. It's very natural to start taking a very value based approach to your, your purchases. But again, that was a relatively short period, and I really it, it seemed like by summer of 2020, we were we were in a boom for a lot of industries, and particularly e-commerce, which is going to be I think a big focus for us in this conversation. Um, so, so it was, it was also rapid. It was really a two or three month span where we all lost our minds and then we quickly got it back together again and things sort of normalized in terms of consumer purchasing behavior. But what had changed was there was a massive shift to where and how we were making those purchases. Summer 2020, I recall very vividly at, at Currency, we received a huge number of applications from startup businesses that were just being founded. 
and they were primarily in areas related to personal care, fitness, and other kind of lifestyle areas that have been affected by the mass shift to working from home. So that was like a very clear example that we could, we could see of a change in the business landscape and an opportunity and just how quickly modern businesses and modern entrepreneurs are able to move to take, to take advantage. You know, there, there was a lot of innovation around remote work. I think as well, there was a lot of innovation in remote healthcare, although that's not something I really touch, but I'm aware that it was happening. And of course, food delivery, maybe not so much innovation in food delivery, a lot of those services uh, existed, but, but the adoption was astounding. So it was almost like we were stress testing these systems that were already nascent, but, but now we were massively accelerating it. So there was obviously massive opportunity there. I think businesses that were agile or had already established some sort of digital operation, they were presented with this really rare blue ocean event, we could almost call it, where you had a huge number of consumers inverting their purchasing behavior from offline physical purchasing to online physical purchasing for the very first time. Most people have bought something online, but, but surprisingly, when you look at the data, even today, the vast majority of retail sales are still done in stores. So you had this, this really very rare event where suddenly there was an opportunity for companies that acted quickly to carve out market share among a large group of essentially new consumers or consumers that were buying in a way that they had never done before. So that was an amazing opportunity. This was, again, all driven by e-commerce. And as I reflect on the last couple of years, I'm increasingly realizing that we entered the age of Amazon, a business that I've been thinking about this recently. It's almost like Amazon was designed for the pandemic. Not only is it a massive e-commerce platform, of course, it's a storefront that everyone knows, but it's also a massive global vertically integrated warehousing, shipping, and distribution network. So it suddenly became critical infrastructure. Amazon was critical infrastructure for people all around the world. And in the background, another huge part of it, less visible, but just as important, Amazon AWS, their data centers power a huge proportion of the apps and services that we were suddenly relying on. So it really was, it was the age of Amazon. It was the age of everything digital. Certain companies were very, very well positioned to, to take advantage of it. Um, and, and, and that boom is continuing actually today, mm -hmm. like two, two years on, um, the projections are for e-commerce sales to exceed $7 trillion worldwide by 2025. And that's going to be a 120% increase or more over where we were at in 2019, right before this all kicked off. Um, so yeah, massive opportunity, massive opportunity. But even by the time we get to 2025, if we hit those figures, that's still only going to represent about a quarter of overall retail sales. So e-commerce still has a lot of room for growth. So even companies who maybe feel like they missed the boat and didn't go digital or start selling online at the start of the pandemic, it's, it's still early days. Uh, we're just seeing an acceleration of trends. Um, and the growth is not just in selling online, it's in supporting the whole ecosystem that surrounds e-commerce as a whole, right? That includes a vast range of software services. Uh, it includes marketing services, support services, logistics, and financial services as we provide to the e-commerce space. So it's not just something for, you know, clothing retailers or anything else to start selling online. It's, it's, it's an entire industry that kind of 
has not cropped up around this, but it's, it's massively accelerated uh, mm. due to this shift in the landscape. There's a lot in that. I'm fascinated by the idea that by 2025, e-commerce will still be only 25%. Yeah, roughly. So 25%. Yeah. And you think this was the Amazon era. We had two years. And if, you know, if now wasn't the time to get everybody you know, online and shopping, as it were, then, then when would be? And I'm wondering, what are the big stumbling blocks to make that still what is actually quite a surprisingly low figure, I would have thought, for most people when they think about you know, how much of our purchases are going to be online? I do, I do find personally that figure counterintuitive, and mm. I think that's probably true of um, a lot of people who live in more developed economies, and yeah, I suppose it probably also ties to your socioeconomic status to a certain extent, you know, whether or not you intuitively think um, 25% of purchases happening online makes sense, but that's a global figure, mm-hmm. of course. And so uh, it's going to vary wildly around the world. But but overall, yeah, I, I completely agree. It's it's less than you would think. Uh, it's certainly less than I would. But uh, you know, from from where I'm sitting, you know, we we work closely with the e-commerce industry. That's actually quite exciting because all it does is point to how much growth is still ahead on that road. Where were we before the pandemic? Just to give some context. Uh, I I believe in 2018, 2019, it was less than 20%. It was maybe 18, 18 or 19%. Don't hold me to that, but but I'm pretty (laughs) confident it was below 20%. I won't, don't worry. Well, one thing that surprised me, obviously during the pandemic is is how quickly so many companies were able to pivot. But also what surprised me is how quickly consumer expectation shifted. You know, it was, as you said, the Amazon era, and we did expect things now instantly from every company how do you think that consumer expectation has changed our user journey and how well companies have adapted yeah you know humans we are phenomenally adaptive and we become accustomed to changes in our circumstance remarkably quickly but i i really believe that a lot of companies deserve a lot of credit i think for how quickly they did adapt Mm. um you know i i've worked in the startup scene for about a decade. And, and I'm very familiar with the sometimes unreasonable expectations of customers on how quickly a company should be able to iterate and develop and change. Mm. Um, the reality is, you know, a- any change for any company is always going to be a lot more complex in the background than it might appear um, to, to, the, to the user or to the customer. And so, yeah, from that perspective, I, I think the agility that a lot of businesses showed was, was really remarkable and actually speaks to you know, the resilience of a lot of businesses today. And I think should give us confidence uh, going into the next few decades, which for a variety of reasons are likely to be decades of extreme change that you know, businesses will find a way to adapt and thrive because this was a massive curveball. And yes, it created opportunity, but it only created opportunity if you were among those fortunate enough to happen to have been set up for it in advance, which is really just luck, or you had the skills and experience and I suppose the appetite for risk-taking to, to pivot your business. Um, so overall, I, I think it's a really positive takeaway, that, that, that level of adaptability that was shown, not just by people in general and how they got on with the change in landscape, but, but how businesses were able to, to get to grips with it and, and quickly quickly bring to market, you know, offerings and ways of doing business that made sense in this completely new reality, essentially. 
In terms of the, the global opportunities for businesses, I know particularly in Britain, especially with small, medium-sized businesses, there's been a slow uptake, I suppose, uh, in the past of exporting globally. And I'm not sure Brexit would, would help enormously with that. But I suppose now with more people going online and e-commerce, that, that those opportunities are much, one would like to think, easier. Are they easier? I mean, this is where payment systems and regulations and all that come in. I think it really depends on the nature of the product or service that you're offering, right? We certainly live in an age where information, where data is truly global, right? It, it roams freely across borders. And then everything else has sort of kept up with that to varying degrees. Um, you know, the trade and physical products is relatively free and easy among over certain borders. Right. Uh, you mentioned Brexit. That's obviously a massive complication. The UK no longer has access to free trade throughout the, the Eurozone. That is going to be a, a real barrier that has already been shown to be a real barrier. So we haven't arrived at this point yet where there's any kind of universal global rule or standard for how easy it is or how easy it should be to do cross border trade. It's 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 extremely contextual, um, but it's never been easier than it is today. And I will say that there has never been such an amazing stack, if you like, of services available to help you do just that. Um, it's never been easier to learn how to do it. Um, and so, you know, any business today that does want to start selling cross-border, every possible tool that they could need to do that is available to them if they have the appetite to do it, I would say. If they have the appetite to do it. Uh, are we slightly overwhelmed though a little bit by choice? There's a lot of different options out there. There's a lot of different ways to make payments online. Can we ever just have one streamlined, simplified way of doing things? Well, you know, to a large extent from the shopping perspective that you just alluded to, that's really what marketplaces like Amazon offer, right? And so I do think we are seeing a very uh, significant trend of consolidation of our attention, uh, as you said, you know, we attention is a finite resource. Time is a finite resource. Um, all of us can only do so much, and and so convenience is becoming a fairly overriding factor, actually, um, for a lot of us in terms of how we how we choose to spend our time and our and our resources. Uh, and that's one of the big advantages of of these kinds of marketplaces is that at least from the consumer's perspective, it brings together all these things into one simple place, right? It takes, takes a lot of the work out of it. Now, there are implications for the merchants themselves on that, but, but for the consumer, I would argue that it's just all, all upside, really. Um, from a payments perspective, I would say that right now, we are in a stage of innovation in the payment space. And I would not expect the current level of um, not so much choice, I think choice will remain, but the just sort of dizzying array of options that look sometimes seem competing, I don't think that that will continue. From a merchant perspective, if you're a business and you're thinking about payment acceptance and how, how many options there are today, that definitely will be solved for because that is a business issue, right? Mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a business problem, which means there will be a business solution. If enough businesses say, I can't deal with all these payment options, another business is going to come along with a solution for that. They will act as an intermediary, right, to, to consolidate all that. And that's already starting to happen. We're always already seeing a lot of the, 
the kind of major players in like the payment gateway space, companies like Stripe, for instance, are really building these payment ecosystems that where they act as a single consolidator for everything that a business could ever need to do online. And that, that's, a, that's a necessary evolution. So while consumers, I think, are going to continue to have a lot of choices in terms of how they pay, we're going to see the rise of additional solutions that sort of consolidate and simplify that, if you like. Um, and we're also seeing a trend, particularly in Asia, this is less prominent in, in Europe or North America, but in Asia, we have a lot of super apps, um, which is just essentially the idea, again, of attention being a finite resource. And once attention is focused on a certain thing, like a particular popular app, it makes sense to embed additional uh, apps, if you like, or services and entertainment within that existing one. Um, and so, you know, the super apps are, are one way of, of solving for that problem of almost too much choice. And I think we're going to see that manifest in a lot of different ways and, and most definitely in, in financial services. It sounds just listening to you that um, the landscape that you paint sounds very beta. I mean, is that just the nature of technology? I think it must be incredibly difficult for a business that is digitally transforming at the moment, changing their global payment system, et cetera, wanting to keep a pace of the pack. And yet the landscape changes so unbelievably fast. The technology is adapting, changing. Is that just now or is this technology and you got to get used to it? It's a really big topic. Right. I think if Sorry. we, well, if we, no, if we start with just the idea of the change that we're seeing in the last year or two as a result of the COVID pandemic, then, you know, I would say that that change, the pandemic was, was not so much a catalyst for change as it was an accelerator or a multiplier of change. All those trends, they already existed. Um, but COVID removed a lot of the hurdles to their full adoption. And so, with the respect to the, the pace and the trajectory of that, I, I would say that that will taper off. And that's because crisis, crisis always breeds innovation. Um, and so for that reason, as the crisis abates, I don't expect the, the speed and pace of the innovation that we saw there specifically to continue at the same rate. But bigger picture, you know, with respect to not just financial services, but technology as a whole, yeah, it's, it's breathtaking. It truly is. I mean, even in the fintech space, I, I don't mind saying it's, it's exhausting trying to stay up on everything. And you have to develop the ability to identify signal among all the noise, essentially. And I will say that I, I don't think that every business needs to be at the cutting edge of every single trend. That is not necessary. It might be necessary in certain respects, but in the same way that every business has poor competencies and then things that they outsource, for instance. Uh, I think that it's important for businesses to be aware of technological trends that directly affect what they as a business do, but they don't need to be aware of everything that everybody is doing. And in those instances where something sits outside their core competency, they should do what every business has always done, which is engage specialist providers to advise them on what to do, because you, you can't stay on top of everything. You, you just can't. And even for me, you know, I, I would be, I suppose, relatively speaking, up to, up to date on what is happening in the realm of fintech. And I'm certainly, you know, an enthusiast about technology in general. But 
I cannot possibly stay up to date on everything that's happening in every single aspect and every single realm of, of the tech industry. So yeah, I, I realize I haven't exactly given a concrete answer to that other than perhaps to say in a very roundabout way, if you're a business owner feeling, oh my God, this is all too much. Yeah, you're not alone. Yeah, um, and let's help out. I think we all feel that way to a certain extent. Um, so you just got to, as I said, it's, it, you got to try to find the signal among the noise and just, just pay attention to what really matters. Sam, thank you. There's so much to dig into for the next three episodes. But for now, that's it. For more information, how can we find out more about Currency? Uh, well, certainly head to our website. That's currency.com. Everything you can need can be accessed there. If you want to get right in touch with us, you can always just shoot an email to sales at currency.com. I think that's the easiest way to do it. And uh, we'll follow up with whatever you need. Thank you so much. Until next time. Thank you.